You're listening to the Sixers Beat with your host, Derek Bodner, right here on LibertyBallers.com and LibertyBroadcast.co. Welcome, everybody. This is Derek Bodner here with Kyle Newbeck on the latest Sixers Beat. We, uh, had kind of our first podcast in a little while last week with Max and Rich, and now we have Kyle on to kind of give his update. But since it's been a while, how you doing, Kyle? Hanging in, man. Just trying to uh, fill the time between now and the lottery and the draft, really. It's a lot of – you know how it goes. It's a lot of dead time. Hanging in there, yeah. Uh, as always, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play and the TuneIn Radio app. Also, please do leave us a rating and a review. The review can, quite frankly, be anything you want. It could be good. It could be bad. I don't I, call us names for all I care. As long as you give us the five stars, we are good with it. Red's Ricky Sanchez Lottery Party is on Tuesday. Doors open at 3 p.m. You can meet uh, meet a bunch of us. Are you going, Kyle? I actually don't know if you're. Going. I am not. I actually have to work during this oh, one this year, so that. I will miss out. I'm very disappointed in myself and my life choices, but <laughs> so it goes, my friend. Well, so it goes. As long as you correct that in time, it's all yeah. good. Next year, next year when the Sixers get the number one pick from the Lakers. But you can find Spike <laughs> and Mike and myself and Max and Jim and I think maybe Rich, although I'm not even sure if that's that's settled yet. But we will all be there. Come say hi. It'll be a, a good time by all. You know, last week we kind of gave our updated – our updated big boards, not even really our big boards so much as our thoughts on guys and whether or not there's been any real movement in how we perceive guys and our interest level in, in some of these players that we talk about quite often. So I guess we'll start this off with giving you the opportunity since you weren't here last week. Has there been any real change, not even necessarily in where they're ranked, but in how you view any of these guys over the last couple of weeks or months? Uh, so I would say... At the very top, so Fultz is pretty much unimpeachable right now at number one. I think I have Jackson firmly there at two. And then really the big change for me is not, again, as you're saying, it's not so much the rankings as it is some fluidity behind those two. I'm very much in the midst of trying to parse through the the next tier or the next couple tiers of players, and I'm starting to – I know I was low at one point on Dennis Smith Jr. I think I've come back around on him a little bit because of certain reasons, although the defensive stuff is still agonizing and painful to watch a lot of the time. And I'm trying to to really to really hone in on Lonzo Ball, like separate my thoughts on him as a general prospect and I guess what he would look like on the Sixers because I think that – as a general prospect, depending on where he goes, I would be lower on him than the consensus. And I've been pretty consistent on that all year. But I do think that because of the type of player he would be next to in Ben Simmons in Philadelphia, I think a lot of his quote-unquote weaknesses, or the, the I don't want to really call them weaknesses, they're, they're areas of concern, but they're certainly things he can get better at. Um I think that they would be minimized by playing next to a guy like Ben Simmons and to get a couple 
elite or sub-elite maybe, depending on, I know there's been a debate about how to categorize Ball's playmaking and passing lately. I don't, I, I don't really want to get into the semantic side of that, but if you get good passers on the floor and get a lot of them on the floor together, especially guys that can run the break like Lonzo Ball and like Ben Simmons can, I think that'll that'll create a, a really good environment for all, all sorts of players to fill in around them. So I'm probably a little more confident and positive on him than I have been in the past couple months, but even as I say that, he's sort of sliding down my imaginary non-Sixers big board, I guess I'd say. I don't know if that's the case for you, like, because I know you do all kinds of different draft stuff, so I'm not sure where you're at on him in general versus his fit on the team now. Now, when, when you say you're lower on him than consensus, what exactly does that mean? Like, are we talking 3-4 or are we talking, like, 6-7-8? No, I mean, I would say he's still probably in the top five, but okay. like a lot, I think a lot of people at this point, like some people have maybe Tatum or Jackson at two, but I would say the vast majority of people have Ball at either two or three at worst. At least like the, like the a lot of the different places that that cover the draft. Now that's it's nowhere near close to consensus. There's certainly a lot of different people with a lot of different hot takes out there. But I would say I think the the low end for me for him would be. I wouldn't drop him any lower than, say, five. But okay. even that is, like, lower than a lot of people have him who don't have him at number two. No, that's right. I mean, I in, in mine, if it wasn't Sixers-focused, he would be 3-4 probably. Okay. Somewhere in that range. So it's, we're talking pretty we're much We're splitting hairs. Right? Like, I, I mean, exactly. It's, exactly. I don't think there's that much separation between those. And So I guess the, the, bigger, the bigger question there is I'm trying to – figure out the the overlying philosophy like at least as it pertains to the Sixers it would be the overlying philosophy that I'm trying to build the team around because I think you have there are some unique choices and futures you can have here depending on where you pick obviously I think if you take Fultz that's just like that's a no-brainer but if you're in that three four five range like do you want to bring in somebody like Alonzo Ball, and you're really going all in on plus-level playmaking and passing. Do you want to bring in, let's say, a, a Jonathan Isaac, where I think you can build a, just a wall of switchable athletes that, I mean, you could potentially be one of the, the most scary defensive teams in the league if you have a guy like him fill in one of those forward spots. Or do you want to try to fill, I guess, an area of weakness with wing scoring? Like maybe you go to a, a Jason Tatum. So I'm trying to figure out what exactly, and you, people who listen to our podcast know, you know, I'm a very big advocate for defense. So I will probably end up leaning Jonathan Isaac more than most people, even with the concerns that I have for him as far as creating his own shot and creating offense for others. But I just think because I am so defensively inclined and because of what I think he can help them build, I think I'll probably end up higher on him and, and banging the drum for him, as I really have been for a long time. But in the, the finalized version of this imaginary big board that I do that really doesn't matter, I think that I will probably end up slightly leaning towards him after – the top two guys. 
Yeah. Yeah, I like uh I, I think Isaac's probably in my my top 5 as well. I like him. I mean, that that defense is I mean, it really could be he could turn into one of the best forward defensive players in the NBA. I don't think that's all that crazy of a statement and it should be because he's, you know, what 18, 19 years old and about 170 pounds it looks like. Uh not quite, but it looks like that. Uh, but the way he can move his feet and cover ground and and the length and shot blocking and forcing turn like he he can he can do it all defensively and if he adds just a little bit of weight so he he's not bullied at all I mean there's there's so much defensive impact there it is it is insane and I do like his jump shot he can shoot a little bit not too much like his, his ball handling slows him down quite a bit but he can use one or two dribbles for a pull up jump shot he can shoot off the catch I like him a lot I'm not gonna I'm not gonna argue with you there I will say. The debate that kind of sprung up about Lonzo Ball's passing and whether it's actually elite, I was a little bit taken taken by surprise with that. And I think some of the – and look, I, I think Mark's a tremendous writer, and I think his three-part series was really good. I do disagree with using assist rate as a metric of whether somebody is an elite passer. I mean, that's just very uh, – when you boil it down and you check what assist rate is, is measuring, it's how many of your teammates' field goals you're assisting on while you're on the court. And that will always favor ball-dominant players. Like, Russell Westbrook, you take his best seasons assist rate-wise, will be better than John Stockton or Magic Johnson or Jason Kidd or Chris Paul. And that's not because he's a better passer than him, but that's because he is being relied upon to create so much of his team's offense. It's really measuring a different... It measures very much your ability to create and get by a level of defense and force a four-on-three then it does um then it does your real passing instincts and your vision and your creativity and your execution of those passes. So I think a lot of what Lonzo Ball does and he does it at a really elite level in terms of not dominating the ball, making quick reads, uh hitting cutters, things of that sort are things that will help your offense quite a bit, but maybe not show up in that very specific stat. So I will say I think Lonzo Ball's passing is elite. I think I think if you watch that team and the difference that team had and look, yes, players got better. That happens when they, they age and they mature. And and certainly, you know, there was some other, you know, TJ Leaf specifically, there were some other players that were added that helped. But Lonzo Ball, I mean, he, he was a very big reason that team turned around. And what I've always said with, with Lonzo Ball and his father, there was no discord in that locker room when Lonzo Ball came in. For right. all the antics of his father, Lonzo Ball wasn't really a part of that. They all They all believed in him. They all bought into him. He changed the dynamic of that team immeasurably. And I think that is kind of lost in the discussion as we focus so much on LeVar Ball. And hopefully, I mean, look, I understand the concerns about LeVar too, but, um, you know, I, I will say, I guess just circling back, I do think Lonzo Ball's passing is elite. Now, whether or not he can create opportunities off the bounce for guys in the half court, I think that's a very real concern. But like you said, because of how well he fits with Ben Simmons, the Sixers or maybe in the right position to mask his weaknesses and really use his strengths to their advantage. Yeah, and I, again, I don't want to waste too much time with the LeVar Ball stuff because that's, I mean, it's like the only topic people seem to be talking about with Alonzo anymore, which I think is really a shame for him because he did have a, a great college season. And I, I like the, all I'll say is that LeVar Ball – most of this stuff has come once the season, at least it's ratcheted up once the season ended. And like, there's been just this gap to fill. Like, I don't, I know that he made dumb comments during the season and said crazy things about who his son compared to 
but that was sort of they were spaced out and it wasn't so much the overarching story. I think once this kid gets out there and starts playing basketball again, this problem is going to dissipate a lot. And I think you've said this on multiple occasions, Derek. His dad, like if he wants to run a, a business empire, which by all accounts seems like he does, he's going to be way more involved with that than he is following his son around and micromanaging his life. And so my hope is that that's going to be the case and that Lonzo can succeed or fail based on his own merits. And like, again, I do think that he has some very special gifts. And I agree with you, Derek, that I probably would lean towards calling his passing elite because, and this will stray away from the statistical stuff a little bit, but I very much believe that when you have a guy who is a an elite or like a special type passer on a team, it sort of brings out the best in everyone else as far as their passing skills. Like it's, it's, it's a skill that's infectious. It's the same. I feel the same way about three point shooting to an extent. Like when you have some guys that are getting hot, like that just the team feeds off of that energy. And I very much feel like guys who move the ball. And like you said, Derek makes very quick reads. Like he'll be in a, a pick and roll and he'll get doubled real quick. And he'll very, very quickly, very astutely hit that open guy and keep the ball moving and start that, that ball movement that just, it disintegrates a defense. Like there's really nothing you can do because regardless of how good your rotations are, regardless of how good your defenders are, you can't run as fast as the ball can be thrown. That's just, that's what sports are about. Whether you're playing basketball, soccer, any other, like any sport that you play, you can't catch up with the ball unless you're a mutant like LeBron who has broken the sport VU cameras idea of how fast a defender can move. But I do think that Lonzo, regardless of whether he's able to do as much off the bounce as you would like from a point guard or a quote-unquote lead guard, I do think he's going to be able to impact the game with his passing either way. But that comes with the caveat that I do think there is a real ceiling on his impact if he's not able to refine his handle and to diversify his game in the pick and roll. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, uh, I agree with you there. Uh, anybody else that you've really, you've really moved on? Uh, well, so I guess, so I mentioned him already, but, uh, Dennis Smith, I've come back around on, I don't want to say a lot cause I didn't, I never dropped them that far down. I don't believe I, I'd have to go back and look at where I placed them in the earlier big boards, but I, I think I would consider him with a top five pick at this point. And I say that because yes, I know that he's all more of the, the ball dominant type guard that he succeeds when he has the ball in his hands and he can create for others. But I do think that he does have the potential to be a three-level scorer. I think that he has a good enough handle, has the athleticism to create separation. And at this point, I think has become sort of an underrated passer. I wouldn't say he's certainly not on the level of a guy like Ball. But I do think he's a good enough passer and playmaker that if he is your your lead guard, that he's going to be cre- be able to create for others. And I I do think that I know that everyone wants to to call Ben Simmons the point guard and if if that's what they're going to do if if effectively they're going to run the offense to him, that's all well and good. But you can a, a team can always use 
players, whether they're guards or wings, that can create offense for themselves and for others off the dribble and with with passing and so on and so forth. So I don't think it would be the worst problem in the world to have to sink more resources into a guy like that that, yes, is going to play guard or point guard, despite the fact that Ben Simmons is, by name at least, being labeled their point guard. I do have some concerns that I I don't know if he's as good as a catch-and-shoot guy as you would like him to be yet. Um, but his athleticism really started to reemerge later in the year. Like, he didn't show off as much as the – because he was getting comparisons to guys like uh, Eric Bledsoe and Russell Westbrook and guys that were really explosive coming into the year. And while those may not be fair, I don't know if he has – quite that level of athleticism I think because he was coming off the the ACL tear I believe it got undersold a little bit because it took a little while for him to really get back up to strength it certainly didn't help that he wasn't playing on a very good team and I will say this as I've said before I really don't understand the top level prospects going to these they're certainly not mid-major programs but they're not elite caliber programs and if I was these guys that saw the struggles that they've had and just how much it seems like it's a bummer to play basketball for like Markel Fultz too playing on a would they win nine games this year like that's yeah. these guys have so many better options than that so I think that sort of masked the season Dennis Smith had too he's he's erratic which is not necessarily great uh, you'd like to have more of a steady presence as far as the shooting ability and I guess his just general demeanor and attentiveness on defense are certainly going to be uh, potentially a big problem at the next level if he doesn't get his head screwed on there. But I've come around on him a little bit just because I do believe in his ability to create separation. Yeah, I mean, he's to me, he's he's been one of the harder ones to to scout because you can see past where he is both a very good player who is drastically drastically underrated and also you can see past where those weaknesses that we talk about really do hamper his ability to be a an impact player and because of you know you look at a guy like Fultz and clearly they both played on on really bad teams and were in bad situations but Fultz's offensive skill level is so it's so obvious it translates so well you don't right. have to really make too much projection to see a role for him in the NBA on pretty much any team in the in the league but for a guy like Smith I mean because of his teammates and because of the style he plays, I think his team almost did him more damage individually than it did for Fultz. So you really have to project what was his fault, what was his team's fault, what was situational, and what you think he's going to be able to improve upon in the NBA. And so much of that comes down to the person and the work ethic and how much he's willing to put in, how much he's willing to listen. And that's just tough information for any of us to really have. He, I mean... He he's also hurt just from the fact there are so many different point guards in right. this uh, in the top of this draft. I mean, if he were coming out last year, he he might have been a you know third or fourth pick in the draft, and that doesn't really change his standing as a prospect. It's just I mean this is this is a tough tough class for point guards, especially when De'Aaron Fox rose like he did throughout the the end of the sec or really the second half of the season when he had a guy like Lonzo Ball who decision makers were really split on him coming into the season come in and not necessarily put those concerns to rest because I think those concerns are still there, but at least move him up in terms of where people, how people think about him. 
And I think those two developments, as much as anything that happened with Dennis Smith and with NC State, I think those two developments kind of hurt him as well. Yeah. Uh, I guess the only other real, I don't want to say too strong of a stance, but I'm I'm definitely lower on Tatum than a lot of people are just because he he is the the archetype of a player that I don't really have a lot of interest in. I'm pr- I probably oversold some of his uh, – his weaknesses a little bit. Like I do think like I have panned his defense at times, but he was a little bit better on defense than I probably expected him to be this year. But uh, the the type of offensive player he is, is just doesn't seem like it would be a good fit with what the Sixers are trying to do and what they already have on hand. Now, if he expands his three point range and I think there's, there's reasonable, there's reason to believe that he can do it. I mean, he's a very skilled offensive player. He's a good free throw shooter. And he wasn't bad at the college level. What did he shoot, like 34, 35% from three, I believe? Yeah, something like that. Um, so I think there's reason to be- there's reason to have confidence in him improving on that front. But I just I don't see him impacting the game enough in different ways, aside from his scoring, that I'm all that confident in him. Like, He's he makes okay reads and is okay as a passer, but that's not really. He's very much a he's a, a scorer. And while I I think there's always going to be room in the league for guys who just go out and get buckets, I would prefer to at least take a swing at a guy who could potentially impact the game in a couple of different ways. Yeah, I mean my big thing with Tatum. And I agree with you. I think his defense was better than I expected. I think his, and he can pass a little bit, but that's not really his forte. He's a, you know, an isolation mid-range type of guy. And he shot, I looked it up, 34% from three, which is solid, not spectacular, but 85% from the line. And the question, it's going to be a very big question whether or not he can extend that out to the NBA three-point, three-point line. But I just look at it. There aren't going to be very many situations where I would say I want him over Jonathan Isaac. Right. So because because of that, I've kind of you know he's kind of flown off of my radar because I don't expect Isaac to go before him, and I don't expect me to prefer Tatum to Isaac. So at this point, it's like I can sit here and and we can go back and forth on his strengths and weaknesses. I just think at the end of the day, I'm going to end up liking Isaac more. So there's really no. I mean, I'll, look, I'll talk about him. And I mean, I'll, I'll write about him before the draft, don't get me wrong, but in terms of what I'm talking about day-to-day, he's kind of a little bit off my radar. Yeah. I, see, I can't tell at this point if you and I just share a lot of similar beliefs in basketball or if we've talked about this copied, damn team so much that we have mind-melded over time. I have actually just copied all of my beliefs about basketball from you. <laughs> don't let anybody know or they'll start paying you money. Hey, I make a little uh, bit of money doing all this stuff. <laughs> Well, no, I I, I meant. I do not have a Patreon though. Maybe I should get on that. There you go. Hey, if it can work for me, it can work for anyone. All right, we're gonna get into some more draft talk in a bit. But before we do, I want to tell you about Harry's razors. I've been subscribing to Harry's for a couple of months now, and you won't believe the quality of the blades you get. And only two dollars per blade, they come in at less than half the price of competitors. Harry's is so confident in the quality of their blades, they want you to try their most popular trial set for free. The set comes with a razor handle of your choice, a five-blade cartridge and shaving gel, and it's free when you sign up. You just pay a small fee for shipping. To redeem your trial offer today, go to harrys.com slash sixersbeat right now. That's harrys, H-A-R-R-Y-S, 
com slash Sixers beat. All right, let's shift off of the draft for a second. Kyle Lowry, he officially opted out. His agency announced that today. Everybody knew he was going to opt out. He made he was scheduled to make twelve million dollars. He'll probably make thirty five million now. It didn't take a didn't take a mathematician to figure out he was going to opt out of this one. But because of that, and because of the constant rumors of both the Sixers' interest and of Lowry's interest in the Sixers, the talk has been pretty consistent. So I think I know your stance on this, and I really doubt that it changed. But what's your interest level in bringing in Kyle Lowry? Okay, so I I will say that my interest level is probably what I would imagine the Sixers' interest level is, in that, yes, I'm sure that Kyle Lowry, the player, is somebody that they would like to add. And all things being equal, if they could spend as much money as they wanted to or get him on whatever contract they wanted – I'm sure they would bring him in because Kyle Lowry would instantly be an upgrade to this team. But because of the the contract that comes attached to him, because of his age, because of the general sliding scale for guys who are of his type, of smaller guards that are in their hit their 30s, and generally they tend to turn into pumpkins right around that time. Look, a lot of people have said, well, Ben Simmons is supposed to be point guard. You can't bring Kyle Lowry in. See, I, I disagree with that part because I do think, I mean, Kyle Lowry was one of the best catch and shoot players in the league this year and has really, really improved as a shooter. I think if, if you have a, a playmaker like Lowry and a playmaker like Simmons on the court together and one that can shoot, shoot really well as a catch and shoot player in Lowry, I think that'd be a great thing. If you have guys like that on the court together, there's, I'm all for having multiple guys who can create offense and distribute on the court. I think that's that's a non-problem, a non-factor in this decision. But I don't want to be paying Kyle Lowry a ton of money when he's 34 years old, 35 years old, especially as he's going to he's going to start being phased out of the team's plans by then. But my hope would be at that point that they've filled in more with younger higher upside guards and the other context that this comes within is this is probably one of the best guard classes at least in the top 10 that we've had in a while the depth there is really good so I don't really like the idea of targeting Kyle Lowry when you still have there's still a lot of work to be done here there's still a lot of prospects to evaluate and sort through here and I wouldn't want to pass on one of these lottery talent guards to go sign a guy who he is what he is at this point. And that's a very good player, but he doesn't match the timeline of this team and this franchise. And yeah, maybe he's, maybe he makes them better over the next couple of years. And maybe it aids their push for the playoffs, which is certainly a stated goal of both the players and the organization lately. But I just I don't think he moves the needle enough, and I don't think the back end of that deal is going to be valuable enough that it's worth signing him for the that boost he's going to give you over the first year or two. On uh, you know, on having too many playmakers. On the one hand, I agree with you one hundred percent. Like, there's never a point where you go, oh. This guy can make plays off the dribble. He can attack you in the pick and roll. He can shoot off the off the catch, and he can make make good decisions with the ball. It's a bad thing to have too many of those. I agree with you 100%. As long as the guy can defend his position that he's asked to defend, 
and shoot off the ball and space the floor. Whether or not you're a point guard, a lead ball handler, a playmaker, like I'm, I'm kind of getting to the point where I'm sick of this whole what is Ben Simmons discussion right. because it really doesn't matter nearly as much as we make it out to be. And I also don't really worry about putting, you know, you don't pass on Markel Fultz because you have Ben Simmons because he can play off the ball because he can, well, in theory, defend his position. And because having too many of those types is never a bad thing. I will say, though, that there is, you know, kind of an opportunity cost involved here where it's one thing to say, yes, Kyle Lowry being great, shooting off the ball. Like, on the one hand, he will ex- succeed in the role that he is placed in. If, if that is Ben Simmons being the primary initiator in the half court, he will succeed off the ball. But the question is, is that a wise use of a $35 million asset? Right. And of a max contract, where you know, I ran the numbers. It would be possible, but difficult to have to sign Kyle Lowry and have max room next summer. It's possible, but you would have to really gut your roster. So this is a pretty unique opportunity. Is are you going to be able to get enough of Kyle Lowry to make it worth that while? You know, are you going to be able to get enough of the number one draft pick to make it worth your while? And in, in Fultz's case, I think that's clear. And in Lowry's case, you probably could too. I think the interesting question comes in if you draft a guard and then sign Kyle Lowry. But at some point, you know, it's one thing to succeed in his role. It's another thing to get what makes him worth $35 million. And I worry that if you draft the point guard, then sign Kyle Lowry, and you start running these, you know, maybe let's say Lonzo. Well, Lonzo Ball is probably not a good example because he's more of an off-ball player in a half-court anyway. But let's say a Fultz, Kyle Lowry, Ben Simmons set. Are you getting enough out of all three of them that they can really be what makes them a unique prospect? I do worry about that. I think what would be, and I wrote a big article on this, I'm not going to rehash the whole thing, but I generally agree with you in terms of he doesn't make sense, his timeline doesn't make sense, sinking that money into it doesn't really make sense. What I do think would be interesting, let's say let's say Paul George doesn't make the All-NBA team this year. And I think they announced that, they actually, I think they actually moved that up so it's before the draft so that you had that information when you could go, go make those trades. Right. But let's say he doesn't make it. There's obviously then no guarantee he will make it next year. Not that the DPE would be off the table, but they might be a little more willing to talk when you're now down to one more chance to make it rather than two. Let's say Paul George is available. You're able to trade for him. You know, let's say whatever that that is. Maybe that's a Lakers pick. Maybe that's probably more than that, but we'll call it just the Lakers pick just as a point of discussion. If you're able to get Paul George, does your interest in Kyle Lowry increase? Yeah, I mean, I think if you're if you're pushing your chips in there, because that's if if that's the organizational direction that they want to go in, then I do think it makes more sense to to find guys who are going to be able to help push him and the team to the next level sooner rather than later. Because obviously, the the background with Paul George is that he's going to be a free agent next summer. So if you're if you're spending all these assets to acquire him. You want to make him feel like, look, this is for real. Like we're gonna we're gonna go for it. I don't know that that necessarily would be ideal. Like I don't know that Kyle Lowry, Paul George is the the combination of players that is going to push you to any sort of realistic contention, especially because the Ben Simmons hasn't even taken the court yet. And I think that's a lot of my hesitation with this too. Is just. We have no idea what Ben Simmons looks yeah. like on an NBA court yet. We don't know how comfortable he's going to be in different areas and places in the game. 
And there's a real developmental cost there in that once Kyle Lowry's here, he's here and he's on that big contract and you're going to have to to acquiesce to him, like just have him involved in a big way. And that's not just at a, a developmental cost to Simmons, but then you look at there's a, a residual effect there. So a guy like Timothy Luau Cabrero, he's a guy who he got a lot of minutes at the end of the season because, look, we all knew that development was at the forefront of this team's goals. Like They were not going to make the playoffs. They had a lot of guys injured. So they could use those minutes to give someone like TLC opportunities to, to try and fail at different things. And that's okay. That that makes him better. That sharpens his skills and his just his reading of the game moving forward. If you go out and you get a Kyle Lowry type player, a guy that's like he, the team wants to win now, there becomes that very fine line for someone like Brett Brown to walk where like he does have to start maybe taking some developmental reps off the table for guys like that. And I'm not saying Brett, Brett Brown is not a guy who I would think would be inclined to just toss guys aside and it's a development's out the window. I don't think he's wired that way, but the goals shift and Brett Brown would know if they signed a player like him, he now has also has higher expectations as a coach in terms of, what he needs to do with this roster. So I think there are a lot of factors that people generally don't consider when they say, oh, yeah, he's a really good player. Go get him. I think that you could very easily create an environment that has a – there are a lot of unintended consequences of signing a guy like Kyle Lowry, despite how good he is and despite the upgrade he would represent for the team, at least within the first couple years of that deal. Yeah, and I mean, it's not even really that for me. And my main – point of contention for Lowry besides the, the size of the contract and the age is that I would rather make my splash when you're in a position of strength and knowledge and you get that by being by seeing how much you can put on Ben Simmons plate in terms of creating in the half court and because of what happened this year you're just not there yet I would rather wait and see what he can do and then see how I should surround him to get to make the best use of the team and unfortunately that's not making a move right now and waiting until, like I said, you're in a, more of a, of a position of strength. The one, the only real justification I could have of signing Lowry is, though, kind of what I brought up, where if another star becomes available, you're now in a position where it's a lot easier to convince them, you know, look, you should stay around long term. We're really building something here. And the legitimacy he could bring, because a team like that, and, and look, maybe... Maybe Ben Simmons is a rookie. He's not ready to be an impact player. But if you have three impact players in Lowry, George, and Joel Embiid, I mean that could be a that could be a real team right away. Yeah. Like you could be talking forty five plus wins next year, and I don't even think that's necessarily all that batshit crazy. And it kind of brings up an interesting conversation with Joel Embiid, and that's what should we really view the timeline as? Because I think there's a case to be made that Joel Embiid was much more ready to make an impact than any of us really had any any thought before he played. Like, I think we all thought it would take him a lot longer to get to this point than he than it did. And I also think there's a case to be made that, look, what we view as a typical aging curve and where his prime is, you know, you say prime 27, 28, 29, because of how quickly Embiid got to where he is and because of, you know, kind of a wear and tear and an injury, really an injury wear and tear that we have to kind of acknowledge does exist. Maybe his peak is 25, 26, 27. Maybe because of how quickly he got there and some some of the tolls that being a seven foot two, 275-pound guy with lower body injuries could take on him, 
maybe maybe the best part of his career is a little earlier than we expect. And should we be planning for trying to make a winner when he is a real elite impact player? And that's hard to say after a season when he just played 31 games, but I think it's a, I think it's a conversation to be had. So if you can have a shot where you can have a real legitimately very good team, to me there is a little bit of risk in passing that up. And look, my my inclination is still give the ball to Ben Simmons in the half court, see what you can get, make a move either at the deadline or next summer. That's still my natural inclination. But I will at least think about an opportunity where you sign Kyle Lowry because you think you can then attract another superstar either in free agency or through a trade and because that will make you a little bit more legitimate in their eyes. To me, it's at least a discussion to have because I do think I do think the timeline changes a little bit because of Embiid. Sure, I think that's fair. And I think I think one thing that has sort of come out of this, and fans do this all over the place, this is not just the Philadelphia thing, but one thing that has come out of the the process era is that I feel like some people expect everything to be almost too perfect. Like they have to... They have to build through the draft. They have to get everything through the draft, and they have to preserve all the cap space in the world. So, and it can only be used on a top five, top ten type player, type superstar. And that's like a lot of expectations that have come out of this are are unrealistic. Like you're not going to be able to get guys like that on the open market because the reality is. If guys like that are free agents, they're going to teams that already have ready-made superstars, and the Sixers don't have that yet. Maybe they do down the line, and hey, maybe this will sound dumb a few years from now, but I just I don't know that always holding out hope for that sort of opportunity is what you should be banking everything on. Like a lot of things that have happened in recent years, particularly Kevin Durant moving to the Warriors, has tilted fans' expectations of the type of players you're able to get in free agency when so many different factors have to combine to be able to create that sort of situation. So I agree with you. I do think there is an argument to be made, especially considering Embiid's timeline and his general history and where we think he can be over the next couple of years. I do think there's definitely an argument to to push for some more impact guys sooner rather than later. But I think Lowry specifically, for me at least, is is not necessarily the guy that I would want to to make those moves for because of some of the concerns that we've already laid out. Yeah, no, I I mostly agree. Um, it really just just it does go to show the absurd number of different paths the Sixers have to get to where we hope they're going to get. I mean, you could you could draft Markel Fultz and build a you know, a contender for the next 10 years based off of one of the best collections of young talent since the uh, Sonic slash Thunder, or you could go out and make trades, you could go out and make signings. And because of the methodical work of some people no longer here, <laughs> every one of those are legitimate options. It's, um, you know, as knock on wood, as long as there's health, there's a, there's a lot of, lot of good basketball, hopefully in our future. There's a lot of optionality, you might say. You might. Some people might. Some people might freak out because they don't think that's a real word. Um, let's see. Any, anything really else you think is is uh, is worth bringing up? Uh, I mean, there's. I think we'll be able to have some more concrete discussions once once that those ping pong balls shake out and we know for sure 
where the Sixers are picking, then we can start having some real conversations and debates on who they should take and what kind of moves they can make. Like, for example, we'll really be able to get into that debate about trading, trying to trade up for number one if they if that Lakers pick ends up conveying somehow. Like, if they end up with a couple top five picks, that'll be a real fun time for us. But yeah, right now it's it just sort of it's it's a waiting game in my mind. Yeah, and it would be nice. Typically, you would have the NBA Combine right now to talk about, but since nobody is participating <laughs> in the goddamn NBA Combine. There's really not a whole lot to talk about. You know, obviously Fultz and Fox, they're there. Did they go through the athletic? They didn't go through the athletic test. No, they just, actually don't, Fultz uh, actually just showed up for like the one night, conducted the interviews, interviews and then he left, yeah. I believe. Didn't even interview with the media. But yeah, not a, you know, it, it's, I mean, the agents are doing what is right for them and their clients. There is nothing these guys have to gain. You play, you know, you have one bad jump or you play one bad game in a five-on-five and every team is there to see it, and you could drop in a, you know, you could, you could drop across the league wide. Uh, whereas if you go and you have one bad workout for one bad team, then you've dropped in the minds of one team. It just doesn't it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to uh, to risk it when you're already thought of as a top ten pick. I get it. It still makes it it for me as a guy who loves to cover the draft and who loves to follow the draft. It's a very sad time, and I'd love for them to find a way to correct it. But the agents are doing what is in the best interest of their client, which is what they're paid to do. Certainly. And so, I mean, we'll we'll be able to, when the Sixers start working guys out too, that'll give us a little bit more to, like, that that part is still coming, I believe. Uh, yeah, yeah, it better be. <laughs> can you imagine um, if they all decided not to work out for teams either? That would be. Well, can you, can you imagine if they went, I'm just glad, and look, again, I understand exactly why Sam Hinkie did this, but I am glad that these workouts will be available to people like us to go, write about and talk to and hopefully watch a little bit that will, uh, again, the, the draft process will feel very more, a, a lot more real when the order is set and there's basketballs bouncing in, uh, in Canada. Yeah, that'll, that'll, that'll be a lot more fun than, than just speculation. I know you're not a big speculation and predictions guy either. So, well, and also this year, I will for the first time in my life, I will not be trying to sneak away to, to the practice facility during my lunch break, and I can actually go there every day without worrying about being fired, so that will be fun. Don't get fired. <laughs> well, the only way I get fired now is if everybody else If the people lunch, tell you which, you suck. Right, which, by the way, I think is going to happen every day. But uh, so far it hasn't, so I thank you all very much for that. But I think that's a good time to to end it, so thank you for hopping on. And we'll talk oh, no to you problem, soon. man. Now you know what it's like to be a full-time writer and live in crippling <laughs> self-doubt all the time. <laughs> oh, trust me. I was there anyway. See all right, see you. You've been listening to the Sixers Beat right here on LibertyBowlers.com and LibertyBroadcast.co.